Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. So 1960 was Nixon and Kennedy. You know what they say. They say that if you listened on radio, you thought Nixon had won the debate. If you watched it on television, you thought that Kennedy did more charismatic uh, Nixon sans makeup and with a five o'clock shadow. Do you know that then for the next 16 years, There were no presidential debates, and they were restarted in 1976 because both Jimmy Carter and Gerald Ford, then the incumbent post-Watergate, believed that they each needed them. Now, arguably, this was a turning point debate. It was a, a faux pas on the part of Gerald Ford when he said this. There is no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe, and there never will be under a Ford administration. I'm sorry, could I just follow? Did I understand you to say, sir, that the Russians are not using Eastern Europe as their own sphere of influence? What he, and what he meant to say is we don't officially accept or diplomatically recognize Soviet domination of Eastern Europe. Of course, it was expected that Jimmy Carter would be on the weak side of any foreign policy debate. That was in the second debate. In the first of the debates, the lights went out. Or was it the audio? Something went out. I guess it was the audio. The power went out in that first debate. That may stand out in people's mind. Okay, now it's 1980, and Ronald Reagan is running against incumbent Jimmy Carter. Uh, Which of these TC do do you have queued up? So I have the, are you better off question. Would you like that? Yeah, this was the way that Reagan closed. Next Tuesday, all of you will go to the polls. We'll stand there in the polling place and make a decision. I think when you make that decision, it might be well if you would ask yourself, are you better off than you were four years ago? Is it easier for you to go and buy things in the stores than it was four years ago? Is there more or less unemployment in the country than there was four years ago? You know, I talked about this on CNN recently, and if you look at the current data and you ask people, how are you doing? People say largely, well, they're doing fine. How's your community doing? Your community's doing well. How's the country doing? Oh, my God, the country is going to hell in a handbasket. We've had that conversation. That is what the data shows. So I don't know what that question looks like in 2024. Are you better off? You'll have to be more specific. If Biden can get people to focus on themselves as opposed to their perception of the country, they'll be in a better position. So now it's 84. And in 84, there are concerns about Ronald Reagan's age. Joe Biden turned 81 yesterday. Walter Mondale was uh, running against Ronald Reagan when Reagan was 74 years old. This was the way that Reagan deftly handled his age. I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes 
my opponent's youth and inexperience. Among, among those laughing, Walter Mondale, okay? And Mondale carried only his home state of Minnesota in that cycle. Uh, 88 would have been Bush and Dukakis, meaning George Herbert Walker Bush. I, I didn't ask for anything, TC, because I don't remember anything about that. Nothing. I paid attention to it. But there was nothing. Well, and perhaps that's significant in its, you know, in other words, if there wasn't anything significant, that's a loud silence. And there's really nothing that we can play from 92 because as I reflect, by the way, I'm just thinking of my own memory as one who's been you know, somewhat of a student of all of this since 1980. The only thing that I remember about George Herbert Walker Bush and Bill Clinton was Bush looked at his watch and people thought that it appeared that he was bored, Rude. that he was disengaged. 96, Clinton and Dole, no memories. 2000, I don't know if we can do this in All a way right, on... Listen carefully. Okay, so what it's she's... It's a really short clip, but you can hear it if you listen you can carefully. Hear, what we're listening for is, is George, or is, pardon me, Al Gore sighing. Texas, that's what a governor gets to oh. do. Okay, I heard it. Texas, that's what a governor gets to do. <laughs> 2004, Bush and Kerry, it's the W re-election. 2008, Obama and McCain. 2012, what I most remember about Obama, Obama, Obama and Romney was Candy Crowley's attempt at a fact check. I, I, I want to make sure we get that for the record because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi. An act of terror. Get the transcript. It, 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 he did, in, in fact, sir. So let me let me call it an act of terror. Can you terror. say that a little louder, Candy? He, he did call it an act of terror. It did as well take. It did as well uh, take uh, two weeks. I mean, or that so. became that became the whole source of controversy from from that debate. 2016. Are we up to 2016? I guess we are. 20. What do I remember about 2016? I remember that uh, I was at the debate. I was at all the debates, and I can't even remember where physically it was. I want to say somewhere in the Midwest, or was it in the South? Darn it, I don't remember. But this was right after the grab by the p incident, and the response from the Trump campaign was to dupe the media into believing that they were going to be able to watch Trump do some debate prep, and instead, when the media walked into a room, he had all of the old Clinton girlfriends lined up, uh, in front of microphones Looking and ready, very serious. ready to tell their story. And, and, like, and Frank, here, here they are. Frank Farenkoff, you know, co-chair of the Commission on Presidential Debates, who will be here in 20 minutes, tells the story of the Trump campaign then trying to use their family tickets to bring in the Clinton girlfriends to be able to sit there and unnerve Hillary during the course of the debate. But they didn't they didn't allow that to happen. 2016, what I most remember was was Trump kind of circling Hillary Clinton on the debate people stage. People use the word lurking, like sort okay. of yeah. behind her. Yeah. And 2020, I just remember Trump being so agitated. I think in the Chris Wallace debate, he was just interruptive and... Are you uh, in favor of law and order? I'm in favor of law. You follow Are you in favor of law and order? Go yes, ahead. You ask a question, let him finish. Law and order. Law and order. Let him Law and order with justice where yeah, people it was a get blank treated show. fairly. It was a blank show. The uh, the Wall Street Journal has an editorial today. It's it's in my newsletter. It's posted at smirconish.com. And in it, they propose get rid of the moderators. But no disrespect to, to Chris Wallace. I think he does a great job at this. Just let them come out and and have a clock and turn off their mics after. T- try and remove the presence and the role of the moderator and make it all about the candidates. This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. 
Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. I want to read you a brief statement. It goes as follows. The United States general election debates watched live worldwide are a model for many other countries. The opportunity to hear and see leading candidates address serious issues in a fair and neutral setting. This tradition remains unbroken since 1976. In 2024, students at our four debate sites will help bring another set of historic conversations to audiences here and abroad, and their campuses will anchor four unique chances to listen and to learn. So read the statement issued by the Commission on Presidential Debates co-chair Frank Farenkoff and Antonia Hernandez in setting the schedule for the 2024 cycle, namely... The first presidential debate will be September 16 at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. The vice presidential debate, September 25 at Lafayette College in Easton, Pennsylvania. The second presidential debate, October 1 at Virginia State University in Petersburg, Virginia. The third and likely final presidential debate, October 9 at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. I'm thrilled that the aforementioned Frank Farenkoff has come back to the program today. By the way, I'm looking at you via YouTube. You look great, Mr. Chairman. It's great to have you back on the program. Well, Michael, I'm still vertical. That's the important thing. So first question, if you build it, will they come? You know, to quote the famous movie, you've, you've set the stage. How do you know they'll participate? We never know. And, you know, you you know your history. You know, Lyndon Johnson was never going to allow Barry Goldwater to be on a stage with him. Nixon, the next two cycles wouldn't go on. And in 1980, when we had a third party candidate, John Anderson, uh, who was above 17 percent, was at 17 percent above the 15 percent rule that the League of Women Voters had agreed to. Jimmy Carter refused to debate, uh, came in after uh, Anderson fell below 15. So there's no there's no way you force these candidates. It's public opinion. And I think at this point in time uh, and where we are in this country, I find it hard to believe that a man or woman who thinks he or she should be president or vice president of the United States is not going to want to go up on a stage before maybe 120 million people uh, and tell them what they think about the issues and how they will lead in the future. So we have to wait and see. 
I, I know that there's always a question mark about it, and, and you're uh, rattling off some of the historical examples, but it seems even more pronounced in this cycle where the RNC, which you headed in the Reagan 80s, has been mulling rule changes that would force presidential candidates seeking their nomination to sign a pledge that say they wouldn't participate with you. What's there from your perspective? What's the beef that Republicans have with the Commission on Presidential Debates? Well, I spent a lot of time uh, to talking to the commission when, or excuse me, the RNC, when it came about that they were concerned. They were doing what they were told to do, Michael. <laughs> uh, they were told from above what they should be doing and ha- what the position they should have. I indicated to them that most of the things that they were complaining about, one was legitimate, but we already indicated to them that we were going to have to move forward the first debate because, you know, 2020 was very unusual because we had the virus. And we had, therefore, it state after state going early mail-in ballots. And therefore, when we scheduled it, it was long before that hit. So we had to move back the debate closer to when early voting started. So we began a real good relationship with the Association of States, uh, Secretary of States, to find out what the laws were going to be in each state. And that's where we came back to September 16th, uh, being the first uh, debate. So... It's a process that, you know, we're going through. The, 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 I don't know. The RNC said they withdrew from the, the CPD. How you withdraw from something that you've never been a member of. We have no connection whatsoever and never have with the Republican National Committee, the Democratic National Committee, or the other two uh, committees that will probably, and certainly they've satisfied the requirements to be still on, on the stage, the Libertarians uh, and the Greens, if they can show that they conceivably could get 270 electoral votes. Right. And in this particular cycle, you know, Mr. Chairman, you've got not only the Republican Party, Democratic Party, but you've got some recognizable names who are in the mix. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running as an independent. Who knows what happens with regard to no labels? So the 15 percent threshold, which is another subject of debate every four years. Explain the thinking in that. Yeah, yes, it is. Well, what happened, it, we, we originally uh, adopted what the League of Women Voters adopted when they were doing the debates, that you, you reach a point that when you're out, you know, less than a month before the election and you're not at 15 percent, uh, that, you know, there's a real it's it's a hard push to say you're going to got a really good shot at winning the election. So we uh, adopted the same rule that they did. It has been. You're correct, Michael. It's been debated time and again. It's been debated by the commission whether it should be lowered, whether it should be raised. Uh, but we've adopted it. We think it's the right one. It is. We have been sued, believe it or not now, starting in 1988. The Commission on Presidential Debates has been sued in every cycle except <laughs> the first election of uh, Obama uh, with regard to the 15% rule. And it's withstood the challenge in the federal courts. One case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, so the rule has been determined to be fair, at least with regard to the power of the commission to set the rule. And so we, we decided, took a lot of hard thinking about it. It's still going to be the 15 percent rule. Now, that's a problem. One of the problems, I think, that these third party or maybe third party candidates or independent candidates have is not so much the 15 percent rule. I think some of them are already above 15 percent in the polls that are out there now. The problem is being on enough state ballots to conceivably be at 270 electoral votes, to have a chance to get 270. And as you know, the it, it, each state is a little different as to what the termination, their determination <laughs> is as to how you can get on the ballot. Some states, it could be 
a petition signed by 50 voters. Another would be 250 voters or 1,000 voters. And that's a, a hard work to go state by state to get on those ballots. That's the real challenge, I think. Okay, so if there's, if there's a candidate who is at 22%, but they can't make the case that there are enough state ballots to reach 270, they will not be able to participate in the Commission on Presidential Debates. That's correct. That's correct. You've got to be, you've got to be in a position where you're, you're going to be a valid candidate. And I think 1980, the John Anderson incident, where Anderson was at 17 uh, by the first uh, go-around, he was invited. He was an independent voter. He was invited by the League of Women Voters and accepted. Reagan, the former governor of California, was actually there. He was, vote, you know, uh, passed all the tests. Uh, he was invited by the League, and he said yes. And Jimmy Carter, the president of the United States, who I've got a great deal of feelings for with what's happened uh, with the death of his wife, a really fantastic woman uh, at this time. But he said, hell no, I won't go. I won't go when you got a third-party candidate in there. And he didn't go. I was at that debate. It was in Baltimore. It was... It was Johnny Anderson and Ronald Reagan. By the time the next debate rolled around, Anderson had fallen down to 12 percent and then Jimmy Carter accepted. And there was only one presidential debate that year. And and that was the that was the there you go again debate. Correct. And that the was there also, you go again line. That's correct. And that was also the debate of are you better off four years than you were four years ago? Yep, I think we may hear some of that uh, in this next year. <laughs> this is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. East on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app. Mr. Chairman, I want to ask you this question. Every day on my website, I think you know this, I have a different poll question. I do it when I'm on CNN mm-hmm. as well. And, and I'm asking today whether, if there are debates, and we hope that there will be in the fall of 2024, whether they will significantly influence the outcome of the presidential race. What I mean by the question is... The people are so polarized. They're so dug in wearing a red jersey or a blue jersey. I'm wondering if the debates are still of consequence. When you look back at your tenure, and I know that the commission came into existence in 87, so the 88 cycle forward, what stands out in your mind when you, Frank Farenkoff, say that was a debate of consequence? Well, I think what we do uh, afterwards, uh, after the debates are done and after the election, is we do some polling to determine were the debates a factor in how you decided to vote. Okay. And it's been pretty consistent that about 60 to 65 percent of the people that we talked to said it was a factor, not always the major factor, but it was a factor in their thinking as to how they came to the conclusion of who they were going to vote for. And, you know, Michael, I, what I think is important is not only what the candidates say on the issues, 
when they're asked what the issues are. And, and that's it's clearly one of the most important factors that we're trying to achieve, that the American people will know what the candidates are going to do on these issues. But having to observe the candidates on the stage and how they conduct themselves and their their relationship with under pressure and so forth, because the one thing I, I've come out of it, I've been asked a hundred times, what, what have you really learned? And what I've really learned is that the American people want to like and respect their president. That's very, very important. So that, that ties in with, is it a factor in, in how you vote? Uh, it's hard to put your arms around exactly what it is, but uh, it, it's certainly something that I've learned. Okay. And, and so Reagan comes to mind, right? I mean, in, in 80, in 84, in the reelection, when he says that he will no he will not exploit the youth and inexperience of his opponent, Walter Mondale, and even Mondale is laughing, like he's proven his likability. Yeah, I tell you, when, as you know, the first debate uh, that year, uh, President Reagan did not do well. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. Historically, uh, if you look at Obama and you look at W, the first debate, most incumbent presidents have not done well. I think in most cases, it was clearly, from what I understand from the Obama people, uh, President Obama didn't want to do the study of the books. And so he's, I'm the president of the United States. I deal with these problems all the time. I don't have to read a bunch of books to know what the position is. But uh, when we, between the first debate, when Reagan had done so poorly and we were meeting with the planning how he was going to go to the second debate, none of us had the courage to ask him how he was going to answer if that question was going to be asked because, you know, we just didn't do it. But when he was on the stage, I was there in, a, in the front row. And when the question was being asked, he looked down at me and gave me a wink. And I said to my friend who was sitting next to me, I don't know what he's going to say, but I think it's a good one. And uh, you're right, Mondale laughed. And I, I was with Fritz up at the University of Minnesota uh, a year or two after that. And he told me very frankly, he knew he was done when that happened. <laughs> when I look back at the last cycle, and we played some audio earlier in the program, and I think about President Trump being on the stage with then Vice President Biden, now President yep. Biden, the Chris Wallace debate. Trump was just so, um, how do I say, I'll be kind and say engaged. You know, he was like all on, probably too much so. That's what stands out from from that cycle of debates yes. is is he was unrelenting, is I think how I would put it. Well, he, he also broke the rules. The rules were clear to, to both of the candidates that when the moderator, who had, had turned out to be Chris, this, when you start in one of the six 15-minute segments, that each candidate gets to talk for two minutes without interruption. And there, no question, he, he broke the rules right away, going after Joe during what, what should have been Joe's uh, two minutes uninterrupted. And that, that, that continued throughout that first debate. And that's why in the final debate, uh, I decided that we were going to have a mute button and that if either candidate, and we advised them, if either candidate broke the two-minute rule, we just pushed the button and they would be cut off and they'd probably be embarrassed. And I'll tell you an interesting story. About a week after the election, uh, Rudy Rudy called me, Rudy Giuliani, who was a contact person for Trump with the commission, and he said, "Mr. Chairman, you know, I think if the president, uh, if uh, if the president had handled himself uh, in the sec- first debate like he handled himself in the last debate when you had the mute button, he might be the president elect right now." And I said, "Rudy." Uh, that may have been true, but I'm told you were one of the people who told him to break the rules. And Rudy said, well, yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, this is really interesting. The The public, I think, conflates what's going on now where the parties call the shot and they have a network partner 
and they select the moderators with what goes on when you step in. I mean, you, correct me if I'm wrong. You've set the schedule. It's not like you consulted any of the candidates. You said, here's what the schedule will be, right? We picked the dates. We picked the locations. We picked the format and we picked the moderators. The only thing we uh, tell the candidates are here. You've agreed. You, you're the nominee. If you want to accept, here's where you go. And that's where it is. Now, I mean, if there are suggestions that they want to make. In fact, I can't remember what particular debate it was. We were, wanted to have them seated at a table where we've had some experiments in the past with candidates. We find that the nature and tenor of discourse actually changes when the two people see that at desk with the moderator. Hmm. But uh, one in both of them agreed that they, they'd rather use the podium. They felt more comfortable at the podium. So, you know, we don't, we, we said fine and they had podiums. So we, we, we will make adjustments when it's, it's got to be both sides, got to be mutual. And uh, but, you know, it, it's different things at, at different times. and You never know what's going to happen in, in these debates. I assume that, you know, that the, the Wall Street Journal has editorialized today on the debates and they say, let's get rid of the moderators and instead just put the two of them out there with a clock and cut off their microphones. I don't know if you've responded to this yet. Maybe this will be the first time you're on the record. No, no, no. I, over the years, I've talked to Paul a couple of times on this and, 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 and Jerry Seib who I think kind of likes what we do. Uh, but, uh, you know, we study every time after, after every cycle, how can we change and modify what we do? And we've done, you know, we, as you mentioned, when we were talking earlier uh, about the debate at UCLA between Dukakis and, and HW, uh, at that time, there was a moderator and three panelists. It was always the moderator and three panelists. And it would come to reporter number one, who's going to ask a question and they would ask a question they worked long and hard to think about that question to show number one how bright they were and number two to uh, you know get an answer to something they're concerned about in many cases the two people would not in the back and forth with, with two minutes one minutes maybe 30 second rebuttal answer the question well then it's reporter number two's turn to question ask a question they're not going to ask to follow up on number one because they worked harder so what we did is we changed the system and made a single moderator with the ability to drill down. And then at the University of Denver, in the debate between uh, Governor Romney uh, and Obama, we changed it more, more effectively, we think. We took the 90 minutes, made it in the six 15-minute pods <clears throat> with the moderator indicating, not the questions that he or she were going to ask, but what the subject matter would be in each of those pods, foreign relations, taxes, education, etc. So we've slowly worked through. We think it's, we think it's great. We also work with all the platforms. We work with all the social media platforms. We, we work with them. They send out to the people on their platform or the questions you would like the moderator to ask. If so, send them to us. And then they are sent to the moderator, not to us, because the moderators are the ones who ask the questions. We do not define the questions or ask what the questions are. That's journalistic integrity. And so we try to include everyone we can. So, but, you know, it, I don't, this sounds crazy. I can imagine what that what would have happened in the first debate if, if there had been no moderator, no one to try to take control and uh, what would have happened. So I think I think we, at this point in time, it's not perfect, but it's the best that we can come up with. 
I have one beef with with what you've announced so far, and it's as follows. The vice presidential debate is going to be September 25 at Lafayette College in Easton, Pennsylvania. If only you could have slid that 10 to 15 miles to the west and instead been at my alma mater, Lehigh University, instead of our rival at Lafayette. The serious question, I guess, is how did you pick these venues? Well, what happens is a year out. Uh, in January, February of the prior year, and this year, we sent out to all colleges and universities, in effect, Michael, a request to bid. Are you interested in hosting? And if you are, here are the requirements. The requirements ask how many hotel rooms are close, because, you know, you get uh, sure. maybe up to 5,000 reporters from all over the world. You've got to have facilities. We have a team of sound people, lighting people, and so forth. They go out to look at the facilities to see if it can be done. And very importantly, the Secret Service goes out. The Secret Service has got to be sure that they can lock down that campus from a security thing. So then we go up, visit the schools that are put in the bids. They work with the Secret Service. They get recommendations back to the commission. And we then decide the the, the commission uh, where we're going to go. And it's interesting that you mentioned <laughs> where we're going to be on the first uh, debate at Lafayette. Unbeknown to me, the present president, of uh, at the time, I didn't know it. The present president of, of Lafayette lived across the street from me in Reno, Nevada, when she was a little girl, <laughs> and used to play with my and used to play with my daughters. And she is the great great granddaughter of Casey Stengel. Ah, oh, that's great. That's great. Good trivia. But that's not why she got it. Their facilities. Aha! Uh-huh. That's why you're going to Lafayette instead of Lehigh, <laughs> Mr. 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 Chairman. Can I just say this before before we have to sure. wrap up? We have only scratched the surface, and I I think you've again achieved the purpose that I had, which was to inform my audience of the amount of deliberation, the thought, the experience, the history that goes into this, because people probably don't think of it until every four years when they turn on the debate, but you're hard at work at it with your co-chair and with the commission, you know, all year long, whether it's an election year or not. And I think that they should take some confidence from this brief conversation. So thank you. Thank you, Michael. And by the way, we're working with 40 countries around the world with people who put together debates in their countries. It's pretty Pretty amazing. We're involved. Yeah, well, we send people abroad. Setting the standard. You're setting the standard. Happy Thanksgiving, and thank you for coming Same back. Same to you. Okay, Thanks, and Michael. you're looking great, and I mean that. You really are. Frank Farenkoff, the guy guy is ageless. Uh, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. A great tutorial on the Commission on Presidential Debates. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.